All right, we're learning Daf Samach Zion. We're starting top line Amar of Yehuda. And uh, Amar of Yehuda, we're picking up on the dispute that we had about Nechzei Tzon Barzel. And the root of the question is, who is the property really belong to? The woman, the woman is bringing in these assets as part of her dowry. The husband is accepting this ironclad responsibility like Tzon Barzel. He's just going to pay what they were worth at the end. And then the question is, is he just like a temporary owner, but at the end, if she wants it, she takes it back? Or can the husband claim, I want this item, and if you want to take it, I'll just pay you out for it. But you don't, you're not entitled to actually taking the item. So that was the dispute between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Ami. So now Rabbi Yehuda continues his position, again, that the woman could take it back. And his reason was, his rationale was, the prestige of her father's home. It's only right that she could take back the items that she brought into the marriage out of the shvach base of Yah. So the Gemara says, If the wife brings for her husband, what does she bring? Two kalim. They were, they were together, they were worth 1,000 zuz. That was the total value of both of them together, 1,000 zuz. What happened? During the marriage, they went up. There was an increase in their value, and they're now worth, at the end of the marriage, 2,000 zuz. So that means each kli is worth 1,000 zuz individually. In the beginning, each one was worth 500. Now at the end, each one is worth 1,000. So now the husband's responsibility is only to pay the value that they were at the time of the marriage. So his responsibility is to pay a total of 1,000, and the kalim now are worth 2,000. So what is the lalacha? So she takes one kli... She takes one kli now when the, when the marriage is at the end, when they're getting divorced, she takes one kli as repayment for what, what it said in the ksuba. It said that he's responsible for 1,000 worth of the kalim. She takes 1,000 for that payment. For the other one, she could pay 1,000 zud. She could pay another 1,000 zud and then take the second kli as well. Because this one has that shvach base of via. So the truth is that, that this is why this might be a bigger chedesh as the Gemara will speak out. The woman doesn't really have a claim on the second kli. She, once, she was, once she takes one, then she's already been paid the amount that was guaranteed to her. Remember, the husband only guaranteed the amount that was worth at the time of the marriage. So, so once he gives her one, so then he already has taken all that, she has taken all that is owed to her. But now we're saying that she has the right to say, I'm gonna take the second kli as well and I'll reimburse you. I'll reimburse the husband for any increased value. So again, any increase, the value of the increase goes to the husband. The, these two kalim double. So once she takes one, she's taken all the value that she is owed because she brought it into the ksuba. Once she takes one, she's, she, she's really good to go. But now she says, I really like that other kli also. So I wanna pay you its value and take it. So the Chiddush is, she's allowed to do that. So the Gemara says, that because of that svara of the prestige of her father's house, that she has the right to keep the kalim. Revuda already said this once to us. What did Revuda say before? Revuda said that at the end, if the husband wants to keep the kalim, he's not allowed to. Um, he's not allowed to. He has to return them because of because of because of the shvach So what's that, what, what is reviewed that informing us any more in the second case? So the Gemara says, you might have thought that's only true where that amount is coming to her for the, the collection of the ksuba. Meaning she she in in, in the case is only true in the earlier case where she definitely has a claim to the to the kalim because they're representing the value that she's owed in the ksuba. Yes, it's true that she was once these kalim were once part of her once part of her father's assets, but it's more than that. She's owed that amount of money. So if she's owed that amount of money, so then the halacha is that 
that, that she could take the Kli as opposed to take, taking the cash. But here, once she takes one Kli, she's already collected the amount that she was owed in the Ksuba. So here, the question is for the extra one. But to give it more money and take the second Kli, lo, I wouldn't know you could say that. Hamash Malan, Refuta, therefore, tells us that no, the halacha is that it's such a strong svar of shvach beisavia that to allow the wife to keep her kalim of the shvach of the tzon barzel that she could even pay additional money to the husband and take it. So basically, the additional point that we're learning today is that Rav Yudah's view is that no matter what, the woman always has the right to keep her kalim that she brought into the marriage, even if what happened was that the kalim went up to such an extent that she has to pay more to her husband in order to take back her kalim. Even in such a case, she has allowed to do that. Yesterday, we just learned that if it's, uh, they're fighting who keeps the kli, the husband would prefer to, to keep it and pay her. No, she has the right to say, I want the kli. Today, we're learning a bigger chadish. If there were two kalim and they both shot up in value, so after she took one, she has all the value owed to her, and the husband, the increase, the value is really on the second kli is all to the husband, she still has the right to pay money to her husband and take the second kli and claim, I'd really like to have that second kli in my possession. All right, now we move on to a new point. And we're going to go back to the Iker discussion of the parak, which is the discussion about eating truma for the wife of a Kohen. So remember, the wife of a Kohen, what's the law while she's married to the Kohen? <coughs> the law is she can eat truma. Slaves of a Kohen as well, they can eat truma. So what happens here? Basisrael, she needs the Kohen, a regular Basisrael, a, non, a non-Kohanist girl who marries to a Kohen. She was eating truma while she was married. Vamace, the Kohen now dies. Now what's the law? The law is if she has any children who remain from the marriage, she's allowed to continue eating truma. If there are no children, she cannot. What's the, what's the case here? She is left pregnant. In other words, she has in, her, she has in her womb, she has a Kohen inside of her womb who hasn't yet been born. So she's pregnant with the Kohen's children. And Rashi says she also has other kids. She also has other kids. So she, she definitely can eat truma. She has other kids who are who, from the Kohen. She's definitely allowed to eat truma. But what's the point? Her slaves, the Tzon Barzil slaves, are not allowed to eat truma. Why not? Because who owns those Tzon Barzil slaves? Who owns them? It would be, would be the children, right? That's the point. The Tzon Barzil says who they were in the possession of the husband during their marriage. So now they're in the possession. Once the husband passed away, they're in the possession of his Yarshim. So many of the Yarshim are Kohanim kids, but one Yoresh is this fetus. And this Tana assumes that even a fetus can inherit. We assume there's an assumption that the fetus owns something, which is fascinating. We'll see in the Gemara that's controversial. But this Tana assumes that an Uber, a fetus, has value, like he could own something, he can inherit. So therefore, this unborn kid is considered to be an owner of the whole estate together with the other children. And he owns the Tzon Barzal slaves. And uh, what is the law? An Uber can disqualify other people from eating truma and doesn't entitle other people to eating truma. What does that mean? That means that even though the Uber is eventually going to be born and be a Kohen and a Kohen can feed his slave truma, but at the state that he is in Uber, he's not able to feed truma. And we'll have to understand why that's true. We'll have to see in the Gemara. Why not? If, you, if he could own the slave, if he could be an owner of the slave, then how come he can't feed them truma? So we'll have to see in the Gemara why that's true. So Divya Rabiosi, these are the words of Rabiosi. So what's Rabiosi's point? Rabiosi's point is that when this woman, when the Kohen dies, and now we want to know, not if the wife can eat. The wife can eat. She has children from the Kohen. 100% she could eat. The issue is, what about the Tzon Barzal slaves? Because the Tzon Barzal slaves eat. That's the Shiloh in front of us. The reason to say that they could is, well, there are kids who are the Kohen and there are certain Yarshimar Kohen, but the Merbiosi is saying that they, should, they can't eat because there's also an heir who is the fetus, and the fetus doesn't have the ability to feed the slaves trim. 
So Amrlo, the Chacham said to Rabbi Yosi, "Ma'achshu Tanu Bas Yisrael Kohen." You just spoke about a case where it was a Bas Yisrael who was married to a Kohen. But if you're right, Apas Kohen the Kohen. Why don't you say even if it was the daughter, a Kohen's daughter, who was married to a Kohen, but Mason the Kohen dies? Vinichum Baris and the same thing. She's pregnant. Lo Yochav Adaber Trima. The Tzom Bas Yisrael can't eat Trima. Nechal Koshover because of the fetus is share. Meaning, what is if you're right? Why are you only saying it in a case where it's a Bas Yisrael? The key here is the woman's eating regardless. She has kids who are Kohen. And the issue is here that who owns the slaves? The slaves are owned by the Yarshim of the Kohen. And the Yarshim include the fetus. Evidently, you hold that a fetus can inherit. And a fetus doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the capacity to feed. So if that's what's true, we'll have to, again, understand that point clear in the Gemara, why a fetus doesn't have the capacity to feed. But, but assuming that you hold that way, that a fetus inherits but can't feed, so then even if, it was, even, if it was, even if the woman was a Kohen, it should be the same Allah. The issue isn't the, the wife here. The issue is the, the, the fetus. The fetus, who is the Yorish of the dead Kohen, the, the fetus who is the yarish of the dead Kohen. So, we, uh, so, so we're saying it's an issue when he, when he has an ownership of the slave because he can't feed them. So therefore, what difference does it make if it's, if, if it's, a, if it's a Bas Kohen or a Bas Yisrael? What, what, why did you only speak about the Bas Yisrael? So we'll have to see what the Rabbanon have responses, right? We don't give a response here in the Mishnah. We have to understand why did the Rabbanon only speak about the Bas Yisrael? So the Gemara now gets to the depths of this. What's really going on here? Again, what's the case? We have a case where there's some kids from the Kohen, but there's one fetus from the Kohen, right? In other words, the woman is pregnant. With a, Rabbi Yossi assumes a fetus Yarshes. And a fetus, his, he owns partially now. He has a right together with his brothers to own these son bars and slaves, and a fetus can't feed. So the Gemara gets into this. Why not? It could be time with Rabbi Yossi. When you have a Ashish Israel who's married to Kohen, so when the kid is born, the kid's going to be a Kohen, right? The lineage always goes after the father, right? However, maybe until he's born, he doesn't have a din of a Kohen. Why would that be? Because a fetus is considered completely the part of the mother's body. So when the kid is born and we now he's his own independent entity and we want to know what is he, what is his lineage? Of course, he's a kind, his father's a kind. But while he's a fetus inside of his mother, he's not considered an independent status. He's not a coin fetus inside of her womb. In that moment, he's not a kind and he doesn't have a din kind. So he inherits, he inherits, he owns a stake in these slaves. And in the moment that he's in his mother's womb, since his mother is not a Kohen, it's just that his father's Kohen. Yes, when he's born, he'll be a Kohen. But in the moment now, he's just part of his mother's, part of his mother's body and he's not considered to be a Kohen. That could be the Vart. And therefore, that's why his ownership in the Son Barzo slaves, since he has a right, he has a stake together with his other brothers, now it disqualifies them from eating Truma because they're not only owned by Kohenim, they're also owned by non-Kohenim. That could be the Pshat. Odilmar, maybe the Pshat is really no. A fetus inside of the mother's womb is also considered a Kohen already. The issue is just a new halacha. Yelud Michael, Shein Yelud Michael. Only a born person can entitle people to eat trima, an unborn Kohen cannot. Meaning it's not about him being a Kohen, it's about that there's a new Gzair Sakasa, there's a new law. That to, to feed somebody truma, you have to be born. Why would there be such a new law? So the idea is, the Lashon of the Pasuk is, those who born in the house can eat, can eat the Kohen's truma, but we expound, that those born from the Kohen, they can cause other people to eat truma. And that's the law, that the children can continue the power of eating truma. And what we're saying is that that's only once it's vili day. That's the Lashon of the Pasuk, those born. So those who were born, they're the Zalacha, that those who were born are able to feed other people truma. But before they're born, even though he is a Kayin, it's not the Pshat Uber Mezar Zazar. Really, the Uber is considered a Kayin. 
but a Kayin, until he is born, cannot feed Shema. What's the practical difference if we say the Pshad is he's not a Kohen, or if we say the Pshad is a Kohen can't feed until he's born? The answer is, the Nafkamina is if the mother would be a Kohenist. If the mother is a Yisrael who is married to a Kohen, there we could say the first sad is that the kid is not considered a Kohen until he's born. But if the mother is a Kohenist, then even if it's a part of the mother, then the kid would be a Kohen. So then, if you go like the first reason, then the, then the slaves could eat Shruma because the kid is a Kohen. But if I go like the second reason, that the kid is always a Kohen, the issue is that until he is born, he doesn't have the capacity to feed other people Shruma. So then I would say, even if the mother is a Kohanis, it would not entitle the slaves to eat Shruma. So my, what would Rabbi Yossi say? So the Gemara says, I'm a rabba. We have a dispute. Rabbah holds like the first reason. Then it's about the fetus in a non-Kohen is considered halachically to be a non-Kohen. It's not considered a Kohen until, until he is born. And while he's in the mother who's Yisrael, he's considered Yisrael. So therefore, what would be if the mother would be a Kohanist? It would allow the slaves to eat. Whereas Rabbi Yosef says, no, Rabbi Yosef, the reason is, you learn Michael, you learn Michael, because of the second reason. Even if the kid is a Kohen, only a, board, only a born Kohen can entitle all the people to eat Rima, and an unborn Kohen cannot. So even if the fetus would be in the womb of a Kohanis, it would not entitle the slaves to eat Rima. So says the Gemara, that's Mamash the Shakra Tire that happened in the Mishnah. Mesve, let's look, the Gemara brings a price. We could bring it from the Mishnah, but we bring it for the Brysa where it's more elaborate. What does the Brysa say? Amrullah the Rabbi Yossi, when after Rabbi Yossi said as Allah, the Rabbanan said to him, Once you tell us about this case where it's a Bas Yisrael who was married to a Kohen and is pregnant, that, 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 that the fetus disrupts the ability of the Tzon Barzal slaves from eating. So why don't you say the Allah if it's a Kohen's daughter as well who was married to a Kohen? Why would it be different even if it's a daughter of a Kohen? So what did Rabbi Yossi say back? I heard about this case. I didn't hear about this case. So what is Rabbi Yossi saying? Rabbi Yossi is basically saying there's a difference. I'm not going to let you know what the difference is. Figure it out yourself. But there's a difference. There's a difference if the mother is a Kohen or if the mother is a Yisraelis. So what is the difference? So, if the Nakuda of Yosi is that the fetus in the, in, inside of a mother who's a Yisraelist, but the father is a Kohen, at the point that he's a fetus is still considered to be a non-Kohen, that's why it's different if the mother's a Kohen. That's why Rabbi Yosi is saying back to the rabbis, no, I only heard it if the mother is a Yisrael, but I didn't hear if the mother is a Kohen. Because there's a difference. In the second case, if the mother is a Kohanist, so then the, the kid is, even, even if it's part of the mother's body, it's still a Kohen. So then it could entitle the slaves to eat Shema. That's why we can understand the distinction. But if the real reason for Abiyosi was that what? Only a born coin can entitle someone else to eat Shema, but an unborn coin cannot. Meaning it's not about him being a coin, but it's about a new law that an unborn coin can't entitle other people to eat. So what does he mean? I only heard this, but I didn't hear that. It's the same thing. Meaning whether the mother is a coin, even if the mother is a coin, so the kid is clearly a coin, but either way, it's the same thing. Meaning it's the same in the sense that it's an unborn coin, and an unborn coin, you're saying, doesn't have the right to feed other people. Shurma. So the Gemara says, Kashya, you're right. It's a real difficulty on this opinion. It would seem to be that we should see from here that the opinion of Rabiosi is not based, there's no Allah you have to be born to feed other people. Shurma. But rather the point is that the kid is not considered to be a coin while he is in the womb. So let's just make a summary of this case. I know it's a little bit of a difficult, a little bit of a difficult case. What's the case? You have a Kohen who is dying and he's leaving a widow um, and he's also leaving children and he's leaving his widow pregnant. All those components are here. The widow certainly is eating Shema because that's the law. The widow of a Kohen who has children from the Kohen certainly is allowed to eat Shema. No question there. The issue is that Tzon Barzal slaves, that Tzon Barzal slaves are inherited 
by the husband's family. So if they're inherited by his kids, we want to know, are these kids able to continue feeding the slaves truma? Who are these kids? So there are a bunch of Kohanim kids. That's great. Everything's fine. But we've got this one fetus. Now, the fetus, in the view of Rabbi Yossi, inherits. And he could own it. He owns it. He has a partial state, has a partial ownership in the, uh, in the slaves. The issue is, could he feed truma? So Rabbi Yossi says he cannot. We're trying to understand why not. Is it because if the mother's the Israelis, the kid is not yet a Kohen? Or is it because even if he is a Kohen, but an unborn Kohen has no right to feed Truma? Only a born Kohen could. And we're saying that it sounds like from the dialogue between Rabbi Yossi and the Rabbanon that it's more about the fact that his mother's the Israelis. So a mother, the Israelis, means that the kid's not yet a Kohen. So the Gemara now says that Amar of Yudamar Shmuel Zudivir Rabbi Yosi. All of this whole idea is only for Rabbi Yosi. Chacham Omer and the Chachamim say basically the Chacham don't care about the fetus. The Rabbanon hold that a fetus doesn't inherit money. So they say Yesh Lo Banim if the tzitzis Kohen had other children besides the fetus, Alchum Yishem Banim. Then the slaves can eat truma because of the kids. I the fetus, the fetus doesn't inherit. Ain Lo Banim if he has no other children besides for the fetus. Again, that doesn't mean the fetus is going to inherit. Alchum Shemachem. Then the Kohen's brother would inherit, and then they could eat because of the brother. Ain Lo Achem if there's no brothers, Alchum Shemosh Bachakula will be the next closest relative in the Kohen's family. The point is, it's never going to be inherited by the fetus. A fetus does not inherit. There's no, there's no Yerusha to a fetus. So therefore, at this point, the Yerusha is only going to go to the next closest person to the Kohen's family. So it's inherited by a Kohen so the kids can eat. So what's the fundamental dispute? Rabbi Yossi holds an Uber inherits. The Rabbanan hold an Uber cannot inherit. It's a fascinating halachic question. And the basic question is, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a thing. It's like, normally you need like Das to make a Kenyan and own something. We're talking about here Yerusha. Yerusha is even like, it just comes to you automatically. And the question basically is, is an Uber, an un, something that we know is here, but not visible, you know, like that kind of thing. Is it considered an entity in Halacha that has the capacity to own? That is the root of the issue here in the Tanakh. So the Gemara says, Shmuel said it like, this is Rabbi Yossi, Zu, The implication is that Shmuel doesn't go with Rabbi Yossi. It sounds like he goes like the Rabbana. That he holds, it would sound like Shmuel's personal view is that an Uber can't own. But says in is that really what Shmuel's view is? Shmuel says, Rabkana, an expert in Agadah. He said, So I bring me 10 people. I'm going I want to say to you in their presence, I want to publicize the following halacha. What do I want to publicize? What does that mean? That if somebody gives a present to a fetus, even if it's a present, so it's not even a Yerusha, if I'm trying to be Mizaka, I'm giving an Uber a present, he can own it now. Because my das can perform that transaction. It can transact that the item now belongs to the Uber, even though he's not here, right? Where's his hand? It doesn't make a difference. I give it to a third party. That third party picks it up on behalf of the fetus. And now the fetus owns it. So even, even stronger, even a presence can be owned by an Uber. So certainly it can be inherited by an Uber, obviously. So it sounds like Shmuel holds like Rabiosi. So the Gemara says, Elazu is Actually, it doesn't mean it not like him. Elazu is I do agree. I, Shmuel says, this is what Rabiosi says, and I actually agree with Rabiosi. So my Kabash one, so what then is Shmuel's novel to believe Rabbanon like Rabiosi? Much as B, Shmuel wanted to tell us that there is a Rabbanon who would disagree. Me pleading, but is there really a disagreement? Master Rab Zakar, who ate this That what Rabiosi said, he heard it from Shmael Avtavim, and Nachachavim agreed. So it sounds like everybody agrees. So the Gemara says, Does the Bryce say they accepted it? No, it doesn't say that. Behodu, it says they agreed. All they meant was that what you said is, is understandable and re- reasonable. But Lamaisa, we disagree. So it's a fascinating thing. Sometimes we admit that what somebody else says makes more sense. 
But Lamaisa, if I don't have the tradition from the teacher that you have, then I won't accept it lahalacha. And that's an interesting thing where halacha is different always than seicha. Like it sounds like the Rabbanu is saying, I totally hear what you're saying, Rabbi Yossi. Uh, over should own money, but but we've never had, we don't have that tradition in our halacha. We don't have that tradition. We didn't hear it, and therefore we don't accept Lamaisa practically that the Ober is the owner of the slaves, and therefore they can continue eating truma from the other the other heirs. Says the Gemara, Tana Rabbanan. If the Kohen died and only leaves sons, meaning the woman, the, the wife was not pregnant. So it's just a regular case where a Kohen dies, he leaves a widow, and he leaves sons. So all types of slaves can eat. The Malug slaves can eat. Those are the ones slaves are owned by the wife. They can eat because the woman's eating. The woman's eating because she, 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 she's a widow of a Kohen with children. And its own bars, those slaves can also eat because there's only slaves who are Kohen and boys who are born. So they could eat. If he left her pregnant and there's no living sons at all, so that she's only pregnant, the Maluk slaves and the Tzon Basel slaves cannot eat. Why? In this case, the widow cannot eat. Why? Because she's, she doesn't have any children from the coin. She only is pregnant from the coin. And we're going to learn in the end of the Mishnah today that pregnancy from a coin doesn't allow the woman to eat. Only a child from a coin allows a person to eat. And the Tzon Basel don't eat because the fetus is, um, um, the fetus is unable to feed those slaves. Let's say there are sons and she's also pregnant. So this is what's been the discussion that we had in the mission. So she's definitely eating, so her slaves can definitely eat. But what about the Tzom Barzal? This was our question. So Rabbi Yossi is quoted. They can't eat. The over for the account of the fetus is sharing the slaves. The fetus disqualifies other people from eating truma, and he doesn't entitle others to eat truma. These are the words of Rabbi Yossi. So now the Gemara brings us to other, other, other Tanam who are weighing in. Rabbi Yossi, a daughter, if it's a girl, they can entitle people to eat truma. If there are sons, then they cannot eat truma. So we have to understand what in the world is that statement going to mean. The Gemara has to explain that. What does that mean? Girls, yes, boys, not. What, what does that mean? We'll have to come back to that. says, If there's any other males, in the, if in the surviving kids who are alive, there's any males, then the slaves can eat truma. Makula and Akevos, if all of them are female, lo yochlu, they can't eat Shemim. They Shemim what's over Zachar, because we're concerned the fetus is a male, and the daughters have no portion in the inheritance if there is a son. So what is going on here? Shemim Yechai agrees with Rabbi Yossi that a fetus can acquire property. He agrees to that. But what's his point? That he's saying is that if there's even one male child, the Tzon Barzal slaves can always eat Truma because of that slave, even though there's a fetus. Why is that? Because there's a 50-50 chance that the fetus is a girl and that he's not inheriting anything because there's a boy. A girl doesn't inherit when there's a boy. And even on the side that the fetus is a boy, maybe there'll be a miscarriage, which means that he won't end up um, really being an owner. Only a viable fetus, only a viable fetus inherits. So what does that mean? That means that there's a role, majority possibility is that there's nothing to worry about. You have a male child right now. Clearly, there's a right for him to eat the truma. Elamai, what are you concerned? There's another male child in the fetus who doesn't have the right to feed truma. Who said he's a male? And even if he's a male, who said he's a viable male? So majority says there's no issue to worry about. So therefore, Rabbi Shemar Yechai is saying you don't have to be concerned. Says the Gemara, why did he say? But if they're only girls, let's just speak it out. If they're only girls, then we have to be concerned because maybe the kid will be a, even if it will be, um, uh, 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 the, way, the way it was worded was maybe the, the kid will be a male and then the daughters don't own anything. So the Gemara just cleans that up a little bit. Why do we have to say if there are only girls and we're concerned the fetus is a male? If there are only girls, even if the fetus is a girl, he would own together, she would own together with her sisters. So the Gemara says, you're right. I'm saying one and more. 
anymore. If there's only girls, then first of all, if the, if the fetus would be a female, the, that she would inherit together with her sisters. But Odin, furthermore, maybe the fetus will be a male, and the daughters don't own anything. Only, only the, the son would own. Whereas if it's Kharim, if there's male, Yochlu, if there's any male children in the surviving kids, the slaves could eat Shrima. So the Gemara speaks out the point that I was saying before. Why is Reb Shimon by Yochai lenient? I have equal over. What about the fetus? Meaning if you're masculine, then if there's only girls, if there's only surviving girls, then, then they can't eat because we're concerned the fetus will either be a boy or a girl. And even if there's a boy, why aren't we concerned for the portion of the Ober? It sounds like he holds that an Ober inherits. So the Gemara explains, he's not concerned with minority, meaning the kid might be a girl, and even if he's a boy, he might not be a viable boy. So it's only a sod of minority possibility that he's a viable boy. That's a miyot. We don't have to be concerned with minority, and we disregard completely the possibility that this male fetus actually owns the slaves. Says the Gemara, and it comes out, according to this, interestingly enough, that Rabbi Yossi, who held, who held that it was an issue, must be that Rabbi Yossi is Choshish Lamiat, and that's why he was concerned. If there's a male surviving kid, we still aren't concerned with the with the fetus's share. Why is that? Because we can make a, a, we could fix something for the fetus. What does that mean? We can make a fix. So what's the whole point here? The point is that he's going to own a share. So we're assuming that when there's multiple heirs, you split everything equally. But we could come along and be creative how to fix it. We'll fix it. How we fix? Orphans. You have orphans. Some of them are minors, and they come to divide the assets, so minors can't really decide how to divide. So there's a guardian that's appointed for each arrow. He tries to get a favorable portion. When they get older, they're able to protest and they can say, actually, I didn't like what I got and I would rather redivide it. So we give it our guardian for the kid. We try to divide it the best we can. But if some, they, they, they didn't like it when they grow up, they're able to protest. Rabbi Nachman, the day Rabbi Nachman himself says, even if they don't like it, they cannot protest. Why? Now, what was the power of the court in the beginning to make a guardian? Meaning, if, if there's such a thing as a court-appointed guardian, then by definition, there has to be a power of the court that whatever the guardians do, we have to support. Fascinating dispute in the power of court. If you would say that, that if the kids don't like it when they grow up, they can protest, then you may as well not make guardians to begin with. If the court is not taken seriously and their, and their decisions are not binding and legal forever, then, then they may as well you know, just not have it at all. So bottom line is, is that what do I see here? I see that when there's divisions, and especially when there are children involved, there are guardians which will try to divide in a way which is most favorable for a child. So what does that mean? Once you're dividing, you can decide, you know, you're going to take the house, you're going to take the car, you're going to take the, the, the beach place, right? That's, that, that can be a decision that all the guardians will make, you know, on what would be better in the best interest of their clients, right? That's the way it works. So the Gemara is saying, let's do the same thing here. The whole problem is what? That the Uber can own. An Uber has a right, he inherits just like a surviving brother. But who said he has to inherit the slave? Why don't we come along and say now, yes, it's true that he inherits, but we'll, we'll appoint a court guardian who will decide that the Uber will give all of his portion and the slaves to the other brothers, and in return, you know, he'll get the wine collection. So, so, so there you go. They, they, they we'll be able to work it out, meaning we'll be able to remove the problem. The problem is that currently we have an Uber who does not have the ability to feed, who owns a portion in the slaves, but that's not a problem that's, that, that we can't fix. It's very easy for us to solve that problem. We'll divide the assets in a way through the guardian and the court's work, we'll divide them in the way that the Uber will not end up with any ownership practically. He will, he will transfer his rights in that and get something else in return.
So now we can understand why, 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 why if there's, as long as there's one surviving male kid, there's no problem. So if they were all girls who survived, then we have a problem. Why? Because they might not have anything. It could be all of it belongs to the fetus. The fetus might be, all of it might be his. He might be a boy, right? And that, that's it. He's the only heir. But, but, but if there's even one surviving male child, then we don't have a problem with the fetus, with the fetus because we could always make the fix. So now, wait a second. That's such a good point, right? Now we understand from Shemba Yechai so well. So what did Rabbi Yossi hold, right? Rabbi Yossi was saying if there's a fetus, we're stuck. Well, why didn't he hold to this? Must be this idea uh, about... Um, assigning guardians and making divisions for ch- children, it must be that that's what the Machlokas Tanam is. That must be if Yossi doesn't hold, you could do that. So the Gemara says, Lo, Kobe, everybody holds like Rav Nachman. Everybody would agree if Bastin made the trick, then the, ba- the Toten Barzal slaves would be allowed to eat. The Bryce is talking about if the Bastin didn't do that. And just the, the Machlokas here is about whether we're concerned for the minority possibility. Rav Shimon was saying, as long as there's one male surviving child, we're not concerned for the fetus because the possibility that it's a viable male is a minority. And Rabbi Yossi is concerned for that. So that it, but it comes out, everybody would agree that if the basin actually appointed a guardian and they made the fix, that it would be fine. The whole discussion and the dispute is only where they didn't do that. And the dispute is whether we're choshesh for the minority. All right. Now the Gemara has to go and analyze that one tricky opinion that we couldn't understand. Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Yossi, Amin Shemal. If he says as follows, Habas Machel, a daughter entitled, entitles the other people to Shemal. Ben no Machel, a son does not entitle. Now this, we can't really understand what in the world that statement means. So the Gemara asks right away, Maisha Ben Michael, what is unique about his son? In other words, the issue here is that there's a son and a fetus. So if there's a son and a fetus, you're saying, in that case, the son cannot feed Shemah. Evidently, you're concerned about the fetus' share in the ownership, right? So if so, Bas Nami, even if it's a daughter, she shouldn't entitle the slave to even Shemah. I mean, what, how does that make any sense? And if anything, it's like Rav Shemah said, it should be just the opposite. If there's only a girl, it makes it worse because maybe the fetus is the only owner of the slaves if he's a boy. So what is he saying? We have this one opinion that no, Dafka the opposite. If the surviving children are girls, oh, then we're okay. We don't, we're not concerned with the fetus's share. How does that make any sense whatsoever? Again, until now we've seen two views and we can understand the two views. Rabiosi's view is no matter what, there's an issue. And uh, there was another view of Shemar Yechai that if, the, if, there are, there's only, if there's surviving boys, we don't have a problem because we're not choshish for the miyat that the fetus will be a viable boy. But now we get this third view of Shemar Yechai who's saying, Mom, the opposite. If there's a girl who's left, then we're not concerned for the fetus to share. If there's a boy who's left, we are concerned. How does that make any sense? So the Gemara explains, you're dealing with an estate which is very, very little. So the children, these orphans, are very, very poor. There's, it's, a, it's a very small, insufficient funds to support the sons and the daughters. So what is the law? So Midarai, so when they're sons and daughters, there's a little background. Who inherits? Only the sons, not the daughters. That's by Torah law. Now, remember though, by Midrabbanan, they said that a father is obligated to support a daughter. And, even, and what happens is, even though the sons inherit the entire estate, they have to make payments. Mizonos payments, food stamps, basically. They have to pay her Mizonos to make sure she eats. What if there's not enough in this estate to go around? In other words, they can't inherit and cover her food stamps. There's just the only left to feel a little bit. What's the law? So somebody's going to have to beg for money. Somebody's going to have to go around begging for food. So the law is that the boys have to beg. Fascinating. Even though Medar Isa, the boys inherit and they just have to give food stamps. But if there's not enough to go around, then what's the law? The girls get all the money to maintain their dignity because it's harder for the girls to beg. Right. What's the amount? So I believe it's 12 months of food. 
And, and so if that's a so then we say that it goes all goes to the girls. So in this case, very good. When do we mean that there's a case where there's a, a daughter? The case is that there's a son and the daughter. There's two surviving kids. There was a son and a daughter. So who's inheriting that? Only the daughter, not the son. Now, the form of inheritance is here in the, in, the, in the slave, right? That's what it is. But I guess the slave is very little value or whatever. You know what I mean? Like something like that. So, so only the daughter is inheriting. And so now we don't have to be concerned for the fetus because manavshach. However you think about it, whatever the fetus is, we don't have to be concerned. If the fetus um, is a son, he's no better. That boy, the fetus is no better than the son that's alive. Just like the living son is not going to receive a portion, then neither will the fetus. Even though technically he should, but if it's such a meager estate, then he won't. So the slave is only owned by the girl. And if the fetus is a girl, uh, so, so am I, why does a daughter eat? Meaning, then you would have to be concerned. She would own the slave. But the only reason she does is this whole thing about the meager estate that the girls inherit, that's just the legislation to protect their dignity. The rabbis didn't have to make that legislation for a fetus. That legislation that girls inherit in, in front of the boys in a meager estate, the rabbis only said that for a living girl. The rabbis have no reason to say that for a fetus. So even, by, even though if a fetus inherits, that's only when it's a regular fetus, like a boy, when it's a large estate. But when you're dealing with the meager estate and a takana de Rabbonin that girls inherit, the rabbis don't have to enact that legislation for a fetus. There's no reason for them to do that. She's not hungry in the womb, right? She's fine. So therefore, if there's, again, what's the case? There's a boy and a girl who survived. It's a meager estate. Only the girl, the surviving girl, owns the slaves. So in that case, we don't have to be concerned for the fetus because Manavshach, if it's a boy, he's not going to inherit anyway. And if it's a girl, the rabbis didn't legislate, he inherits. That was the point that this Tana was saying. So says the Gemara, Abimayu came to Hadri explain the Bryce's case. And we're saying the slaves could eat trim if there's a girl, but a chasm watim. You told me a whole kimta because it's a meager estate. Well, then Amos Ava, look at the end of the Bryce. What is the end of the Bryce? Reb Shimon Bayuchai. What did he say? If all the girls are, fe- all the children are females, the slaves can't eat shame because the fetus might be a boy. Remember, what was he saying, Reb Shimon Bayuchai? That if there's only girls, we can't eat because we're concerned that the fetus will be a boy. But other Rabbin, chasm watim, the bonus they knew, right? If, 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 the fetus, if the fetus would be a boy, he still wouldn't inherit because when it's, uh, when it's Nechasim, Watim, it only grows through the girls. So we made this opinion good. In order to understand him, we had to say it's Nechasim, Watim, but now we can't understand the meaning anymore of Rishim Yechai. Rishim Yechai is saying, if there's only girls, we're concerned the fetus is a boy and he inherited everything. But out of his Nechasim, Watim, so the Gemara says, you're right, Save us on Nechasim, Watim, Merupin. The later part of the Bryce is talking about when there's a big estate, and if it's a boy, he'll inherit. So, so, so that, it's a little bit of a choppy price to that because the two Tanam are not talking about the same case, right? There's not, they're not really seeing on the same wavelength here. One Tanam is talking about so he, he's saying if there's only a girl, then we're not concerned for the fetus. The other one's talking about so that's why if there's a girl, we're concerned for the fetus. So they're not really speaking directly to each other. They're, they're, they're kind of like missing each other's points. All right. So now the Gemara challenges the whole assumption that we're saying. Um, is it really true that when there's a in a meager estate that it's considered the daughter's property I mean we know that practically the, go- the girls keep it but what we're saying is it really considered absolutely theirs let's say the male orphans they were bad and they sold the property right they were left a tiny bit amount of money and instead of instead of giving it, leaving it for their sisters the way they should they were greedy and they sold it what they sold is sold that shows us that even in this halacha of, of the small estate it really belongs to the sons it's just like the Rabbi said the girls should practically take it, but if the boys sold it, they sold it. They don't have to return the money. So we see that really the ownership remains by the boys. So that throws our shot out the window because that means that the rabbis never really were okay of the ownership of the boys. And if they didn't uproot the ownership of the boys, then the fetus's ownership should still throw us off. 
So the Gemara says, you're right. We have to change what we said. Ella, my basitani. What did it mean, daughter? Right? Rishwab Rosh was saying, if there are daughters, then they could eat. What do we mean, daughter? Aim. It really meant the mother. What did we mean? Is that what we were saying is that we were saying that, uh, that um, when, there's a, when there's a mother, when there's a widow, there's a widow who is eating truma because she has children from the Kohen, so her slaves can eat. And what we meant to say is her Avde Malug can eat truma. Masha Inkin, when, there when there's a son, when we want to know, could his slaves eat truma? Meaning, could the Tzon Barzal slaves? There we can. So we're changing the entire meaning. We're not, we don't want to know if the Tzon Barzal slaves can eat when they're inheriting, when, when they're surviving girls versus surviving boys. The point that Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yossi was saying is that if, there, if, 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 if there's a mother who is in the picture, there's a widow who has survived and she's eating because he has kids from the Kohen, so her slaves, those are not the Tzon Barzal, they belong to her, the Avdim Malug, they can eat. So says the Gemara, Yachan Rabiosi. Then he's not saying anything different than Rabiosi. Rabiosi also agrees to that, that the Avdi Malugi Shrema. Our whole discussion was the things that were inherited from the father. So he says, Mar says, You're right. Kulu Shema Rabiosi Katani Law. The whole thing was just Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabiosi. There's actually no dispute here. So we com- completely like come out. That last opinion isn't weighing in on our discussion. He was just completely concurring with what Rabiosi said. So in conclusion, when there's a wife from a Kohen, who, who the Kohen passed away and he leaves the wife pregnant and there's other concluding and there's also other children. So the wife can eat Shema because she has children from the Kohen. Her slaves, the Avdi Malog, can eat Shema. And that's all Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi was saying. What about the Avdi Malog? Those are inherited by the Kohen's children. Could they eat? So we have different views. One view, the Chachamim, the one Chachamim is the Uber doesn't own anything. The fetus is out of the picture. Ubers can't own. If an Uber can't own, then of course, if there are any surviving male children, then, the, then, then they can eat. All the other Tanam, though, are concerned that an Uber actually could own. And therefore, we have the possibility if he owns and he's available male child and he might own it and he can't feed, so therefore, the Avdi Tzom Barzal can't feed. He might be that the kid's not a Kohen. It might be even if he is a Kohen, an, an, un, an unborn Kohen can't feed, and therefore, the slaves cannot eat. We had one view that said, but if the, 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 the but, but, but if we're not Choshish for a minority possibility, then as long as the surviving kids are boys, then, then the, the, the slaves could eat because we'll only have to be concerned that the fetus is a viable male. That, that's a minority possibility. Or another view was saying, maybe we'll do a fix. Maybe we'll divide the assets and say the fetus owns everything but, but the slave. So we, we, kids are, we'll work it out. We don't have to be concerned for the portion of the Uber. All right, now we just continue, clean up the last point of the dafir. A lot of, a lot of different cases. Ha'ober, if I have a fetus, ha'yavim, ha'yavim, ha'irisin, a case of betrothal, ha'cheirish, a case of a deaf mute. Well, you kind of know what's the mission talking about. So you kind of guess, read it together and then we'll analyze. Or a boy is nine years old in one day. All these cases, post them. They could disqualify other people from eating truma, and they cannot entitle people to eat truma because of them. So what does that mean? So, so basically, what we're gonna, let's just go through it. If I have a fetus, that means, let's say I have a basi stroll who was married to a Kohen. So if she would have kids from the Kohen, she could continue to eat. But if she only has a fetus from the Kohen, she cannot eat. What about the inverse? If I have a Bas Kohen who is married to Yisrael. So if she dies without any children, she goes back to her father's house and she eats. If she has any children from the relationship, she cannot go back to her father's house. What if she's pregnant? She cannot go back. So the fetus could possible and not eat. The, 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 for Yavam, let's say it was a Bas Kohen who was married to Yisrael, he dies without kids. So she'd want to go back to her father's house and eat Shema. But if there's Zika to a Yavam who is Yisrael, she cannot. And what about the other way? What about if a Bas Yisrael was married to a Kohen and she was eating Batrima and now the, guy, the Kohen died and she has Zika to a Kohen? The Yavim cannot eat. So a Yavim disqualifies and cannot eat. Arison. Arison means, what does it mean? If a Bas Yisrael isn't yet married to a Kohen, she only betrothed to a Kohen, she cannot yet eat. We'll learn about that. But a Bas Kohen, as soon as she does Arison to Yisrael, she cannot eat. A deaf mute, a deaf mute is tricky because his condition is Midrabanan. The rabbis legislated his condition Midrabanan. So if it's a Bas Kohen Yisrael, 
So then Midrabana and the Bas Kohen became disqualified. And if it's a Bas Yisrael Kohen, it's not a full-fledged marriage, so she can't eat. Ben Teshashanim, we have to see. That we'll still learn about, what exactly that case is. Says the Mishra, Suffolk, Ben Teshashanim, Yomach, Suffolk, Shainu, if it's a Suffolk, if the boy is nine years old or not, or if it's a doubt of a boy is 13 years old, and we don't know if he betrothed a woman, if he's really an adult, Suffolk, Shalohevi, either way, we go L'Chumrah. And we'll see again what exactly the case is. If the house fell on him and his brother's daughter, if, um, if, if, if a house fell on him and his brother's daughter, and we don't know which one, it died, which one died first. So meaning, what's the case? The case is that, that, that a man married his niece and another woman. So there's a, an even scenario would depend here on the other woman, whether or not the, the niece died first or whether he died first. Why is that? Because an Erefa doesn't do Yibam. So when a man marries his niece and he dies childless, it's a daughter falling to her father to Yibam. She doesn't do Yibam. So then she doesn't do Yibam and her co-wife doesn't do Yibam as well. But if the co-wife died first, so then at the time of death, the only woman, when the husband died first, when the husband died second, his only wife was the Tsar, she would do Yibam. If we don't know who died first, then the co-wife does Chalitza, but can't do Yibam. So now the Gemara just tells us goes through each line in the Mishnah. What does it mean that the Uber disqualifies the mother from eating Truma but doesn't entitle her? Ibas Kohen Yisrael, if the case is, is a Kohen's daughter who was married to Yisrael, the husband died and left her pregnant, Pasola. So then the fetus disqualifies her from going back home because Kinurea Pratlin Muberis. The Pasuk says she returns in like she was in her youth. The Bas Kohen, if she's like the way she was when she was a youthful girl, she goes back to daddy's home and eats Shema. Pratlin Muberis, that excludes the case where she was pregnant. If she was pregnant, she's not the way she was in her youth. So she doesn't go back and eat. And Ibas, Ibas Israel a Kohen, if she was Israel's daughter, who married to a coin, lo machalo, the fetus doesn't entitle her to eat Shema because you live Michael and you live Michael. We mentioned this on Al. Only a child born from a coin, be lived beso, they can feed the mother Truma because they survive from the coin. But if they weren't yet born, then they cannot entitle the mother to eat. So when, when the kid will come out, so then she will entitle or the, the, the widow to eat. But before they come out, she cannot. What about Hayavam? We said the Yavam, same thing. Disqualifies when Truma doesn't entitle. So Ibas Kohen Li Yisrael, it's Ibas Kohen to Yisrael. Meaning, Bas Kohen, after she's widowed, she wants to go back to her father's house and eat Shema, but she has Zika to Yisrael, so Pasala disqualifies her. Why? The Pasala says she returns to her father's house. That excludes a woman who's waiting for Yibam, meaning she's not free to return. She, she still is stuck in this bind to do Yibam, so she's not free to return. She cannot eat Shema. And Ibas Yisrael a Kohen, if it's Ibas Yisrael who was married to Kohen, the husband dies without children. So, so you have another, another Kohen in the picture. You have the Yavam, Lo The Yavam does not entitle her to eat. Why? Only the acquisition of a Kohen through his money. The Yavam didn't yet acquire her. At this point, she's just the acquisition of his brother. It's not his acquisition. So since it's just his acquisition, it's just his brother's acquisition. It hasn't yet become his acquisition, so he doesn't feed her. So basically, we have to think in all the cases, and tomorrow we'll analyze more, about a Bas Kohen Yisrael and a Bas Yisrael coin. In Bas Yisrael coin, the question is, does she have any, does any surviving children from the... From, does she have any remnants left over from the marriage? If she has leftover children, she continue to eat. The Mishnah is saying a fetus is not enough. A Yavam is not enough. She has to have a, live, a viable kid. And the other way, Abbas is kindly Israel. The question is, does she return to her father's home to eat Shema? And if she has anything left over from the marriage to the Israel, she does not. And a fetus would disqualify her. A child would disqualify her. Zika to another brother would disqualify her. She cannot go back home and eat Shema at that point.